Awesome. Hey, it's great to see everyone this morning. Good morning. I reckon I can say Merry Christmas today, don't you? Merry Christmas, 8th of December. Who reckons that's still too early? Oh, quite a few people. Who, who, I, uh, you, may have, you may have already done this last week, but who, who's a 1st of December Christmas person? 1st of December, it's all go. You know, like 1st of December, the tree's up. Who's, um, who's already got their tree up? Brilliant. Who's been listening to Michael Bublé's Christmas album? Mariah Carey's? Brilliant. Yeah, maybe. I'm, um, I'm, a, I'm a 1st of December Christmas person, um, but not in the sense that 1st of December, it's all go. But for me, the 1st of December is the earliest we're allowed to have Christmas decorations up in our home. Now, don't get me wrong, I love Christmas, and I love getting our house set up and getting it all decorated. In fact, we actually have already finished our Christmas shopping. We'd finished it before December had even arrived. So we, we were ready to go. So I love Christmas, but for me, the 1st of December is, is the limit. You know, no, no, not October, not November, like the malls think that they can. But 1st of December, we're allowed... Ago. And in fact, on the 1st of December, last Sunday, before church, before church, we set up our Christmas tree. We, we got up early and we, you know, we pulled the box out of the garage, and we brought it inside and we, we took out the tree and, and we found the right spot in the home for it and we set it up and put everything on it and plugged it in so that it was all ready to go. And it was just so awesome and, and a great thing to do before church. So I, I took a photo of it for you this morning, our Christmas tree. That's, um, that's my kitchen bench, which was the right spot for the tree. Uh, yeah, we, we think with a, with a toddler running around currently and a newborn to look after, having a proper tree probably wasn't the wisest idea for us uh, this year. We didn't really trust our, um, our multitasking ability with that. So we thought that'll be a... Uh, yeah, yeah, well, that's the thing. We, it's, it's less... Yeah, shopping was much easier, so not have to put presents under that. We'll do the rest of our house Christmas Eve, I promise you. We'll still set up everything else, but that can be our tree this year, I think. But Christmas is a great season, isn't it? It's a wonderful season to celebrate everything, and I feel especially for those of us who have the hope of Jesus in our lives, this is a great time of year to remind our hearts again of the greatest gift of all that Jesus, our Savior, 2,000 years ago, God came to earth in the form of a child born in Bethlehem, and he was called Emmanuel. God is with us. Jesus, our Savior, was born. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep 
have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. But because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, the righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed spiritual rulers and authorities, and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but was raised to life in the spirit. Now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels and all authorities and all powers except his authority. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The love of God that was revealed to us at Christmas time. Where Christ Jesus, our Lord, was born in a manger in Bethlehem. What a season to celebrate. And what an opportunity we have this Christmas to keep that message at the center of all that we do. What an opportunity we have to place Jesus back at the center of our lives, at the foundation of all we do in his rightful place where he needs to be. Because when he is at the center, he has access to everything I do. He has access to every part of my life. Everything I do flows from that point. Jesus requires obedience. And obedience is the single greatest thing we can offer God. In fact, all he is ever wanting from us is an obedient heart. A heart that is willing to continue to say yes to him, 1 Samuel 15, 22. What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than the offering of the fat of rams. And the promise is found in Deuteronomy 28 that if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commands that I am giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the world. And you will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Obedience is what God desires. And the promise is, is that obedience will bring blessing. That when you keep your life in line with God's will, when you make the daily decision to walk in the ways of the Lord, the promise is, is that you will be blessed and you will find the favor of God on your life. Now, that doesn't mean that your life is going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that your life is going to be carefree, that you're never going to walk through some things, but the favor of God is, is that even when you walk through those things, He is with you. 
Even when you go through the trial, even when you go through a storm, when you face hardships in your life, the blessing and favor of God is, is that his presence goes with you. That even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you can fear no evil because he is with you. When Levi, my son, was first starting to crawl around, he was starting to get mobile and active, he used to come and play on the bed with us early in the morning. So he, he'd, he'd wake up early and I, I'd get him up and I'd get him his bottle of milk and he'd come and have a cuddle with us early in the morning in bed. It was really nice. But once the milk was finished, it was time to play. It was time to start getting active and start doing some things. And so he would love to play around. And you see, our bed's quite high. It's, it's, it's a reasonably high bed. And so very quickly, the edges of the bed became quite fascinating to him. The edges of the bed became quite enticing, and what he couldn't quite understand is why I continued to tell him to come away from the edge of the bed, or why, much to his frustration, I would continue to pull him away from the edge of the bed. What he couldn't get his head around was the fact that I knew his limits better than he did. I knew that if I allowed him to go to the edge of the bed, he would inevitably fall off onto the ground and he would hurt himself. And so I was requiring his obedience, not so I could be a, a mean parent, not so I could be a killjoy, but because I had a different perspective on the situation. And his obedience to me was going to bring him the blessing of not falling off the bed. And it's like that with God. He has a different perspective to us. He understands our limits and understands who we are even better than we do. And so he, does, so he desires our obedience. And as I was preparing for this morning and thinking about the upcoming Christmas season and everything that it means, I, I really felt God highlight to me how Christmas could never have happened if without obedience. Christmas could have never taken place if it wasn't for obedience. And in fact, obedience actually undergirds the entire Christmas story. When you look at pretty much every major character and person in the story of Christmas, we can see examples of their obedience. Jesus was obedient to the Father's will to sending him to earth. Joseph was obedient and still taking Mary as his wife. He was also obedient when, he, when an angel said to him, you need to get out of the city. You need to go and live in Egypt because Herod wants to kill your son, he was obedient. The wise men were obedient when they were also told, don't go back to Herod and tell him where Jesus was born, just go straight back home. Obedience is part of the entire Christmas story. And there's two stories that I'd like to look at this morning from the Christmas message around obedience. And we find them in the first chapter of the book of Luke. And so here's the first story. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. And then skipping down a few verses, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Standing to the right of the incense altar, Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son and you are to name him John. And then a few verses later, Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? 
I am an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. And then here's the second story from later in that same chapter. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren. But she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Here we have two stories of two miraculous conceptions. The first story is the conception of John the Baptist whose role was to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. His role was to prepare people's hearts for the message that Jesus was about to bring, to start preparing people that the Messiah, the Lord, was coming. And the second story is a story we all probably know reasonably well, the story of Jesus' conception to his mother, Mary. But what I love about the two stories is the two parallels between each account and how neither woman should have been able to have children at this point. Neither woman should have been able to get pregnant and have children. On one hand, we have Zechariah and Elizabeth, who it says was very, they were very old and that she was barren. She'd been unable to have children up until this point, and so now in her old age, it was becoming increasingly unlikely that she was going to be able to have children. And then we also have Mary, who we know is young. She was probably only about a teenager at this point, and she was engaged but not married, and so she was a virgin. And from what we read, it doesn't sound like they were planning to get married anytime soon. In this culture, engagements could take a whole lot of time. And so one was too old and one was too young. Yet God was able to use them both in miraculous ways to bring about his plans and his purposes. And I love that what that says, that regardless of your age, Regardless of your stage, regardless of what circumstances you've gone through in your life, God can still use you. You are never too old and you're never too young for God to work through your life. However, there were two very different responses initially to the, angel, the angel's message when he comes to tell them about what God was going to do. And the first response we get is Zechariah's. In verse 11, it says, While he was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. He was shaken and overwhelmed with fear, but the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. 
Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son and you are to name him John. I just want you to notice a line. God has heard your prayer. Even after a lifetime of being unable to have children, a lifetime of being unable to conceive, of being unable to get pregnant, they were still praying that God could move in their life. They were still praying that God could give them a child. It says earlier in the passage that they were righteous in God's eyes. And we know that God looks at the heart, and so they hadn't allowed their circumstances to cause their hearts to turn hard towards Him. They hadn't become bitter in their old age. They hadn't resented God for the way things had worked out, but they held on to the faith that God was good and that He could still move in their life. And in this culture, being, able to, being unable to have children would have been a shameful thing. This would have been a shameful thing. This would have caused rejection and isolation in Elizabeth's life. And yet instead of turning their backs on God, they remain faithful to Him throughout all these years in the midst of their darkest time. They were still praying and trusting in God's goodness. But then we read Zechariah's response to the angel. How can I be sure this will happen? I am an old man now. My wife is also well along in years. And we read that the angel doesn't take so well to that response and causes him to be unable to speak until the child is born. The second response we get is Mary's where the angel appears to her and tells her about God's plan and that she's going to conceive a child. And she asks a similar question to Zechariah, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. Two similar questions, but asked from a very different place. You see, for Zechariah, we can see that his question was asked from a place of doubt because he adds the word I in there. How can I be sure this will happen. Or in other words, I don't trust you yet. I don't believe you yet. How can I be sure that this is going to happen? I would like something more concrete to hold on to. I'm not ready to trust you at your word yet, God. Give me a sign. Give me something to hold on to. Give me some proof. I'm not ready to live by faith. How can I be sure that what you have said is going to happen? Whereas for Mary... While her question is similar, we can see that she was asking from a different place. Where she's saying, but how can this happen? What she's saying is, I'm believing what you are saying. I would just like you to clarify as to how it's going to work out. I'm trusting you. I'm believing the word that you have said. I'm believing that what God has said is going to happen. But how are you actually going to work it out? I'm a virgin. How is this going to play out? But then she says the line that brings it all home. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. I am the Lord's servant. What's interesting here is that Zechariah, he was the Lord's servant literally. He was a temple priest. And he had most likely served God in the temple since he was a young boy. He would have spent his days growing up in close proximity to the presence of God. 
serving in the temple every day, helping make the day-to-day functions of everything take place, learning the scriptures, hearing about God's faithfulness to the nation of Israel throughout all these years, have meditating on them, memorizing them, learning them in his heart. And yet when an angel visibly appears to him in the temple and promises him something that him and his wife have prayed for for years, you see, this conception would completely remove the shame and the stigma that his wife had carried for her entire married life. All of the cultural stigma, all of the rejection, all of the isolation that would have been present in her life due to the inability to have children, all of this was about to be removed due to the grace and the love of God. Yet her fir- his first response as the Lord's servant is doubt. Yet for Mary, the opposite was about to take place. This conception was about to bring, was about, to bring about far more shame and isolation than Elizabeth could have ever experienced. Conceiving a child outside of marriage was a far worse situation to be in. Try convincing your family and friends that the child inside you was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Try and seeing how that goes down with people. For Mary, this could have been a death sentence. Under the law of Moses, if she had been found to have committed adultery, it could have been punishable by death. But even if she hadn't been killed, this could have completely ruined her marriage prospects. For all she knew, Joseph was well within his rights to call off the marriage and send her off into a life of loneliness and isolation and poverty. Yet her response was, I am the Lord's servant. Obedience. In the same way that Mary's obedience would bring blessing and hope to our entire world, our obedience to God will always bring blessing both to ourselves and the people around us. What an example she set for us. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said happen. She didn't know the outcome. She didn't know what it would mean for her life. She didn't even really know how it was all going to play out. All she knew was that God had spoken, that God was good, that he was in control, and that she had an obedient heart. And that is what God is looking for from us, an obedience and a trust in him that says, I might not have all the answers. I might not be able to see how this is all going to play out. I don't know what this means for my today. I don't know what this means for my tomorrow, but I'm going to trust that you have a higher perspective. I'm going to trust that you have the best plans in mind for me, and because of my faith in in who you are, I will be obedient to your leading. And I wonder if we can use this Christmas season to check our hearts again to see if Jesus is truly at the center of our lives. Is he truly at the foundation of all that we do? Are we willing to live a life of obedience, regardless of what it could mean for my future, regardless of what it could mean for my social status, for my finances. But you know, all of this is only possible because Jesus was obedient to the Father. He was obedient in allowing himself to come to earth as a human baby. The king of the universe who created everything we see and understand, who created the very bodies that we have, allowed himself to be limited and wrapped in human form, where he came to earth 2,000 years ago to be born as a baby. He traded the throne of heaven 
for a dirty wooden manger. He was obedient to the Father's leading throughout his life, listening to his direction and his guidance. And ultimately, he was obedient in going to the cross. Obedient that he would be the ransom for our sins and mistakes, that he would die in our place so that we could again be made right before God, that we could again have a relationship with him. Obedient to the Father's plan to restore us of our brokenness and free us of all the guilt and the shame that we carry. And perhaps you're here this morning and that's news to you. Maybe that's something that isn't a reality in your life. You might be sitting here this morning and you wouldn't say that you've accepted what Jesus has done for you. You don't know what it means to have a relationship with the God who made you. You don't know what it means to live a life of freedom. Can I encourage you that that is the true meaning of Christmas? And amongst all the festivities and Santa and the tree and presents and food and all of which is great and fun, but the true reason for Christmas is that Jesus, our Savior, was born so God could again be close to you. That you could know what it means to live a life of freedom, knowing your eternity is secured in heaven. Or perhaps you're here this morning and you do know that, but maybe you've drifted away. Maybe you've atrophied, allowed yourself to become lukewarm, indifferent. Maybe you've even been disobedient. You wouldn't say that Jesus is at the center of your life. Why don't you use this Christmas season to again get yourself right before God? To allow the reality of what happened 2,000 years ago to allow the gratitude to well up in your heart again this Christmas. Let the truth of Jesus' sacrifice resonate within you again. So that when we go out into the world, that that message is at the center of everything we do. That people would see the hope in Jesus. And so if you're in either of those categories, all I'd love to do is just pray for you this morning. You'll know who you are. And we're about to sing a song called King of Kings. King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And maybe you can use this song just as a chance to say, Jesus, you are the King of Kings. You are King of my life. I put you again at the center. So why don't you just close your eyes. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for the true meaning of Christmas. Now, 2,000 years ago, you came to earth to bring hope and life to humanity. You brought good news that would bring great joy to all people. Jesus, we thank you for your obedient heart to the Father, that you would be willing to come and lay your life down as a ransom for all our mistakes so we could again be right with you, that we could spend eternity in your presence. God, I pray for everyone here who maybe that's news for them, maybe that's not a reality in in their life. I pray you would reveal your love to them this morning. And for those who have maybe they don't feel like they're, that you're at the center of their life, God, I pray that you would become again so real in their hearts, that what you did, the truth of who you are, would burn so strongly within each and every one of us so that everyone we come in contact with this Christmas 
wouldn't be able to deny the true meaning that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We praise you this morning.